Would you believe that Paul's success depended on other people's prayers? Paul believed it. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. The Apostle Paul was a learned man, but he wasn't leaning on his learning when he told people about Jesus. He enlisted the help of believers in Colossae and elsewhere. He asked them to pray. If we don't have the quantity or quality of prayer we'd like, maybe it's because we don't realize our dependence on God. Why pray when you can worry? I mean, why pray when you can sweat? There's even an attitude in the subculture of evangelical Christianity that that is embarrassed by the fact that you would pray at all. It goes something like this. I mean, if you have the talent, you got the smarts, you got the muscle, you got the money, do it. And God will be very pleased that you did that for him. And in that atmosphere, prayer loses its place. And the Christian life becomes reduced to what I can do with my mind and muscle. And many times our best prayer is when we're asking God to make something work that we've already planned and initiated. We didn't consult God first, you know, we just figured it out for ourselves, and then launched into it and said, oh, God, bless this mess. God, make something happen here that's significant for you. Now, this morning, can't you see how very foolish that is? How very limiting that is. The other side of the picture is that all of us don't pray enough, and each of us know that. You ask Billy Graham, Billy, what's the one thing you would change if you could go back and live your life over again? What's he say? I'd have prayed more and preached less. Billy Graham. Well, what's Billy learned? Billy's learned that when he preaches, God may bless, but when he prays, God has to bless. That when he preaches, he engages the minds and hearts of other people. When he prays, he engages the heart and resources of God Almighty. And the potential of outcome in those two formulas is very heavily weighted in God's favor, don't you think? Prayer is usually something that we are want to do when all else fails. And then we cry out in God's, to God's grace and mercy in desperation for God to deliver us from this set of circumstances that we've created or generated by our lack of time with God in prayer. It's way beyond the scope of this particular verse to talk with you this morning about all the benefits of prayer. Hymn writers write hymns, poets write poems, philosophers have filled books with all the benefits of prayer. You can't read in your New Testament without constantly bumping into the clear testimony that the church was at its best when it was on its knees. And yet, 
we haven't learned that lesson. That has not translated over into our experience today. Let me, let me illustrate that. If I announce that uh, next Sunday I'm going to be preaching on a, a certain topic, uh, you will probably come. If I announce that next Sunday we're going to spend our total hour in prayer, if I remind you that every Wednesday night at 7 there's a prayer meeting, and there are a dozen, 15, 18, sometimes 20 of the folks who gather for that time of prayer. You probably will have other things to do Wednesday night. And I'm not implying that you don't pray. What I'm observing is that prayer has such a low place in our priority list. And yet, as you look in your, in your Bible there, at Colossians chapter 1, you find that this, this, this matter of prayer had such a high priority in Paul's ministry. Look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 3, right up here at the get-go. The first thing he says to these Colossians as he, as he launches into this letter is, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. That's the first thing Paul says to them. And, and look at verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be, and then he goes through a whole litany of things that Paul wanted God to do in their lives. I think that's what's behind the verse there in chapter 2 and verse 5. Look at that one. Chapter 2, verse 5, Paul says, Though I am absent in the flesh... Yet I am with you in spirit. What does that mean? With you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ, so forth. What's Paul saying there? Paul is saying that although he's locked up in jail over in Rome, because of the mystery and power of prayer, Paul was present in spirit where he couldn't be in the flesh over at Colossae. And Paul was having a ministry. Paul was seeing God do things in the lives of this group of people he couldn't visit physically. How? Through the power of prayer. That's an incredible insight. Look what he says in the closing verses about the founding pastor of the church there at Colossae. You find in chapter 4, verse 12, Paul notes that Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always, laboring fervently for you in prayers. Laboring fervently. Those are two very energetic words meshed together to tell us that this, this man whom God had used to initially share the gospel with the folks there in Colossae, and that sharing had resulted in a group of people coming to know Jesus Christ, and that group of people is now the church receiving this letter from Paul. Paul is saying that Epaphras, your founding pastor, 
works hard diligently in the business of prayer for you. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy, and he's telling Tim how to set up the matters of the church there in Ephesus, he says in chapter 2, Now first of all, Timothy, number one on your pastoral agenda, number one above everything else, I want you first of all to make sure those are a praying people. We've been going down through a list of qualifications of the people of God. And, and we've talked about how God's people ought to be distinctive and different from these verses in Colossae. I, I wonder if our neighbors would say of us, well, you are a praying people. You take prayer seriously. You continue earnestly in prayer. You know how to pray. You see, when you're a praying person, a praying people, there are no impossibilities. None. And the impact and effect of your life and our ministry together is not measured by how much we have in our billfolds or how much we have in our brains. It's not how muscular and energetic we are, neither is it how old we are or how young we are. Those capacities are all limited. They're all human, they're limited. But when you are continuing earnestly in prayer, you are visiting places like Papua New Guinea. And you are actually affecting the work of the gospel in Papua New Guinea while you're here on your knees in your bedroom in Columbus, Ohio. It is incredible. Someone has said, the scope of the power of the potential of prayer is as wide as the omniscience and omnipotence of God himself. Wow. Well, our neighbors, if they're visiting the people of God, I mean, the authentic people of God who are behaving as authentic children of God should sense our dependence upon God. And that should be evident in the priority we give to prayer and the earnestness that we bring to the work of praying. And it is work. But, but we must hasten on. Notice in this passage, secondly, that even the Apostle Paul in his ministry was limited, limited to the measure of prayer. You see what he says there in chapter 4 again, verse 3? Meanwhile, he says, as, as you're praying, as you continue earnestly in prayer, be praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I'm also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. What's all that mean? Let me cut to the quick this morning. Paul understood that you can quote John 3.16 and your listener will stand there and say, gee, that's nice, and not be moved an inch. 
Paul knew that you could take your, your neighbor through the Romans road and explain the whole mystery of God's justification and righteousness and the death of Christ and forgiveness and grace and all of those things. And your neighbor can sit there in the stupor of spiritual deadness and be absolutely unenlightened. Do you realize that? Jesus once said when he was explaining some things to his disciples, no man can come to me except the Father draw him. Evangelism is not a matter of skill. It's not a matter of technique. It's a matter of a spiritual encounter between the living God and a dead, lost individual. In the next verse where he says, you walk in wisdom toward those who are without. And later he says, be sure you know how to give an answer to anyone that asks you. Paul is elevating the topic of our relationship with the people who do not know Jesus to a new level. He's saying, look, those folks are going to ask you questions and you're not going to have the answers. And the only way you're going to have the answer is if you spend time in prayer. The only way you're going to have boldness in witnessing is if you spend time in prayer. One of our elders distinguishes himself with his zeal for evangelism. It's Dr. Duke. I can talk about Duke today because he's in Aruba. <laughs> now, don't tell him I said this. Duke is absolutely committed, flat out committed, sharing the gospel. He, he, he'll share the gospel with a dental, a dental student, with a dentist, with a dental patient, or even with the dental chair if nobody's in it. <laughs> Duke is committed, but let me tell you something. His boldness and his aggressiveness does not come from his technique. Duke has learned to be a man of prayer. And I'm here to tell you what he would never tell you. Duke spends hours in prayer. And when Duke learns that you have a friend who is not a Christian, Charles Smith, and Duke says, I'll pray for him, that goes down on Duke's prayer list, Charles Smith. And whatever else Duke does during that week, Duke is going to pray for Charles Smith. And it's in the prayer closet that God generates within Duke's heart the courage, the ambition, the focus, the energy, and it's in the prayer closet that God opens the door in seemingly unusual ways for Duke to share the gospel. And he'll often say, and you know, he was ready to pray the prayer, or she, want, she was ready to receive Jesus. Well, that's not because Duke's method is superior to anybody else's method. It's because Duke has been laying hold of God's heart through prayer. It's prayer. It's prayer that prepares Duke's heart. And I'm not as focused as Duke because I'm not spending that kind of time in prayer like Duke is. See, in prayer, God both prepares the heart of the witnesser, in our case here, Paul, and the heart of the recipient, the unsaved person, whoever that may be. And Paul was saying to the Colossians, listen, you guys, please pray for me that God would open doors of witness that would be effective and that God would work in my lips and my heart that I would speak what is appropriate and that God would work in the heart and mind of the person to understand the mystery of Christ. Unless God works in the unsaved person's heart and mind, he ain't never going to get it. 
Never. In that great church at Corinth, Paul wrote in his first epistle, he says, hey, when I came to you, I didn't come to you with excellency of speech and knowledge or wisdom. He says, I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was in weakness, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. This is the Apostle Paul talking. Paul! I was with you in weakness and trembling because I wanted your faith to stand in the power of God and not in the wisdom of man. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the first five or six verses there. What's Paul saying? Paul is saying that these, we, we could say these ordinary, simple Christians at Colossae held the secret to the success of the Apostle Paul's ministry in their prayer life. They prayed, Paul's effective. They don't pray, Paul is boxed in. Paul! Wow, no wonder Paul wanted to encourage them to be continually earnest in your praying. You, you've got your hymn book there. Turn in it with me, please, to an old, old hymn. Number 406. I, I want us to sing this as we close today. The title is a bit... Well, it's a bit deceptive because the hymn is really about prayer. But the title of the hymn is, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I, I want you to look at this hymn, and then we're going to sing it. And I'm going to ask you this morning with me to ask God to make prayer a part of your agenda this week. See, see how... The writer says it, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Everything. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. Are you grieved this morning? Jesus wants to bear your grief. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Everything. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden? Are we cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise and forsake you? Take that to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. As I drove to church just a couple of days ago, 
I saw two people pushing a car. The car was out of gas. They could have walked to the gas station easier than to push the car to the gas station, right? Many of us are pushing the work of God because it's out of gas. God wants us through prayer to fill the gas tank with the energy and resources of the Spirit of God, then turn it on and go for a ride. It's a whole lot better than walking, and it sure beats pushing. This week, Christian friend, continue earnestly in prayer. Pick it up a notch. Increase your focus. Expand your time with God. Spend some time letting him talk to you. And then take to him the needs and burdens of those around you as well as your own. It's amazing what he can do and what he's already promised to do. Ye have not because you ask not. This week, let your family find you praying. <laughs> this week, let the devil find you praying. This week, let the Lord find you expressing that dependence upon him that is best expressed in prayer. Father, we are powerless because we are prayless. We are burdened because we will not come to you. We are ineffective in reaching those that are outside because we think that we can argue or persuade them when those decisions are only possible in the Spirit and by the Spirit of God's power. Make us less impressed with our own prowess and more impressed with your promises. Now, Lord, help us to continue earnestly in prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go pray. When Jim was reading the words to that hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, I finally connected those words, griefs and sorrows, to Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. In the hymn, as in the prophecy, Jesus is our burden carrier, our refuge, our friend, a friend who wants to talk to us. The sermon we heard yesterday and today on Right Start is called, The People of God Are Dependent. Ask for that title if you'd like to order the CD. We offer it for a gift of $7 or more. This is one in our series, The People of God. All 17 messages can be yours in a CD album for your donation of $59 or more. Thank you to everyone who has prayed and given to allow us to bring this message to as many listeners as we can. Listeners are what this is all about, but partners, people like you, give us the resources to serve those listeners. If God has put it on your heart to help this ministry, you can mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, 
Worthington, Ohio, 43085 USA. Or please call 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. And stop by our homepage at rightstartradio.org. There you can hear this radio program again, or play programs going back several years. And you can play or download sermons by Pastor Jim without the radio edits. The Right Start podcast on iTunes is a handy way to listen. We'll show you how to set that up. And you can donate securely online at rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. Jim will get more practical tomorrow. Please be with us if you can for Wednesday's Right Start. Right Start.